Hello and welcome to the Core Perform Corner, where registered dietitians and personal trainers teach you how to optimize your gut health, hormones, and fitness. Our team has utilized the trademark and evidence-based Core Perform protocol to transform over 500 lives mentally and physically. Here at Core Perform, we have three core values that are family, communication, and care. So if you are ready, subscribe to join our family, communicate with us through our Facebook group to ask questions, and we'll take care of the rest. Please remember this episode should not be used as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. And now, let's get on to this week's question. The Core Perform Corner, where we answer your questions every single week that come live from the Facebook group. Be sure to join that if you are not in there already. Um, before we get started with the questions, um, we are running a promotion right now. So I teamed up with another female entrepreneur out in California who is making plant protein cookies so if you want a free protein cookie go and order some corporate protein because i'm going to be including one in every single um order moving forward until supplies run out she did send a box of them so um, once those run out no more cookies will be sent out um the winner of our giveaway is bridget so congratulations bridget you won our monthly giveaway, be sure to shoot me a DM with your address and I will get you a full care package right away. Um, for next month, if you guys want to enter, be sure to just leave us a review on um, Apple Podcasts and send us a screenshot and we'll write down your name. So with that said, let's hop into the questions. Um, is there truth to the statement that fasting improves MMC? If so, and the goal is to restore weight, should snacks throughout the day be avoided and meals make up the majority of cal caloric intake? Courtney, do you want to handle that? I'll touch on it a little bit. And then if I am missing anything, you can kind of like fill in from some of the stuff that you were looking at as well. So for those of you who don't know, MMC stands for migrating motor complex and really all that is, it's it's your body's way of digesting food and peristalsis. That's it's a fancy like I feel like it was a fancy word for peristalsis, honestly. So what can happen is the way that food is digested according to this complex is it occurs in four phases. I guess like the third phase of this digestion is where most of the like optimal absorption and breakdown of nutrition occurs. So long story short. Um, a lot of this is like in theory, like a lot of the research I was looking at was like, oh, there's a theory behind the thought that if you fast for certain periods of time, you might be able to like trick your gut into thinking that it needs to speed up certain phases of digestion to be more optimized. I looked into it further and the research right now is suggesting that it's not really fasting, like it's eating every three to four hours, which I wouldn't consider that an actual true fast. So in regards to gut health and digestion, it said the best way to support the function of the MMC is to space out fasting to allow the cycle to occur between meals. The ideal time between these meals is three to four hours. That sounds like a normal like eating pattern to me. So I really don't think that it's like something where you need to actually like be fasting for like 
12 additional hours a day in order to see results. If anything, I would argue the research that supports or that supports the um, backing behind not doing intermittent fasting for gut health is way more evidence-based than this. So I would not do a lot of any type of like fasting if you have digestive issues. Exactly. So this is what we preach at Core Perform, which is why we, for the most part, for most people, we actually recommend eating within 30 to 30 minutes to an hour of waking. Additionally, um, we like to for specifically only for SIBO, we recommend spacing out your meals four to five hours, just so that we make sure we capitalize on that MMC taking sweep kind of to take place and take hold. Um, but that doesn't mean that um, you have to con like give up snacks throughout the day. Um, all we're saying again is that three to four hours. Typically a 12 hour fast is perfect and plenty for gut health for any sort of health purposes. I'm gonna be completely honest here. I think I fast for like eight hours and 10 hours. Like my last, like I'll have like a snack before bed around like nine, mm -hmm. 9.30 sometimes and then fall asleep at 10. Is that the best for gut health? No, but do I have issues with my gut health right now? No, so no one come at me, please. <laughs> like this is all part of just like normal habits. Um, and I eat breakfast within 30 minutes of waking every morning, which is usually around like 6.30. Um, so yeah, so um, I have perfect bowel movements <laughs> if anyone wants to know. So, uh, <laughs> so in terms of my MSC being dysfunctioned or anything like that, um, again, it's really person specific. So what I would do is I would just focus on larger meal space throughout the day. So um, this should help you with getting in more calories, weight, restoring your weight, but also fine to have snacks here and there also. Mm -hmm. um, and if anything, I would argue that stimulating the GI to break down food more often is going to be better for you allowing for the MMC to take place because the yeah. MMC is only helpful for cases like SIBO. Whereas if you're restoring weight, um, you need to be eating more frequently. And if you're dealing with constipation, you may need to be eating more frequently also. Agreed. Kyler, why don't you take it away with a question? You got it. Is keto sustainable or are there long-term negative health effects? Ooh. So I did like, fun fact, I worked for the company that launched ketogenic.com back like oh, wow. five to 10 years ago when this was booming. Like no one had heard about the ketogenic diet yet. And I interned for them and I was responsible for doing all the research behind like what, if, why we can promote ketogenic diet. Um, and so what I will say is that yes, the ketogenic diet has specific therapeutic um, uses, but the research from when I, what I can understand up to this point is that um, it's only beneficial in cyclical matters. So the best kind of ketogenic approach is actually one that allows you to incorporate carbs around your training or cycles in carbs at some point. The reason being is because your body is used to whatever you digest. So if you take away all your fats in your diet, you will become better at digesting carbs because look, you're gonna be eating more of them to sustain yourself and your body's only going to know how to digest those carbs. Same thing happens if we only digest fats, right? If we go ketogenic approach, your body will only start to become more efficient at that fats. So if we can kind of create this middleman approach where 
you're doing keto, um, a keto diet and you're getting into a state of ketosis to benefit um, your longevity or whatever it is, but we're also cycling in carbohydrates. So your body still has that ability to efficiently um, digest and absorb carbohydrates, not only for the pure metabolic purposes, but also for your hormones, um, your thyroid need them needs them your sex hormones, all these things need um, carbohydrates. So again, that cyclical approach is what I've seen in the literature. Um, and I would recommend also, I think that I've really wanted for the longest time to do keto, I just like, I wasn't in a good spot pr prior when I had mold, but like now is the perfect time, I think I might do it. <laughs> You know, what's funny is I actually did keto 10 years ago. Really? Yeah, did you literally get any in college. Mental, did you get any mental benefit from it? Um, I did. Like, I noticed everything that they claim um, for a period of time. And yeah. then it kind of got cloudy after that. And then I learned how necessary carbs actually are. So yeah. never went back to that. But it was just funny because back then, like, nobody was talking about it. And then it went another five years or so before suddenly it just exploded everywhere. And uh, it just blew my mind. But yeah. Awesome. So you've never tried it, Dasha? No, I want to. Gotcha. Um, also, just to answer that question, as far as like, from my side of things, uh, I limit it to three months if we're going to incorporate any keto. And I only mm -hmm. ever incorporate it if the client specifically is asking to do that. So mm -hmm. that's exactly what I do too. three months at a time and then cycle off, you can either do so the cyclical approach works, you can either do it in a time manner, like um, certain days of the week, if you're really able to get into ketosis really quickly, you're you should be able to cycle carbs weekly. Most people are not able to get into ketosis for a solid two or three weeks. Um, and so for those people, you want to make sure that you're not introducing carbs until you're into ketosis. So the more you repeatedly you get into ketosis, the better you'll be and the faster it'll be to get into it. So you'll be able to kind of do that cyclical carbohydrate every single week approach versus every month or two months. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I kind of want to try it. I don't know. You should. Might as well have the experience, right? Yeah. I just, like, it's just, like, pure laziness of wanting, <laughs> like, wanting to not have to eat that much fat in a day. Like, that just oh, I get does it. not sound measurable. Like, to yeah. me, that's, that's mm -hmm. not <laughs> You like your carbs. Yeah. <laughs> not even that. Like, I like my protein. That's true. Yes. You have to restrict protein to, like, 70, 80 grams a day. Yeah. So a lot of people don't do car ketogenic diets correctly anyways to begin with. So that's another whole story. But today, very true. Is Courtney breaking in and out for you, Kyler? A little bit, yeah. Really? Right. On that better. one. Better? Yeah, a lot. Weird. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. As we get into the summer months, how much should a person increase their water intake? Um, that is reflective upon how much water you are expending I would say and how much outdoor activity you're doing what I will say is that as the summer months come out your body is going to expel more salt than it's used to um, and then it'll start to adjust this so oftentimes people who are avid outdoors fans and working out outdoors they'll notice like oh my gosh when the season first starts like if I swallow or if I get like sweat in my eye, it's like burning. 
That's because your body isn't used to sweating so much. So it's expelling a lot of that salt at that time. Once it gets used to that, it'll stop giving out so much salt. And then the amount of salt that's actually let out by your sweat will go down. Um, so you should increase your water intake as well as your electrolyte intake, um, but only to match the level of whatever you're sweating. Um, if you have been sweating prior and you're not sweating anymore and it's no difference, then you won't, um, you won't feel this difference. Anyone else have anything to add? I fully agree. Obviously, right. if someone's doing like, if they're like training outside a lot and they're just sweating like crazy, like you're going to increase your water, but there's basically just whatever allows you to stay hydrated properly and feel good. Mm -hmm. All righty. What is a core perform recipe that you've been loving lately? Am I, I'm scared to like, uh, want to like break out. Yeah, we can't hear anything you're saying. So I'll answer for you. Um, <laughs> um, we have been loving, so every single week we're trying to start in corporate form. Um, we're trying to start like a family recipe that we all make together for dinner one, one night or throughout the week. And then we all share like our variations of it. So last week or this week, um, Courtney posted a poke bowl recipe that was corporate form approved. And so everyone has been making it. And so it's been really fun. We're doing um, white rice, um, salmon, I think it is either cooked or raw cucumbers, radishes, anything else I'm missing. Seaweed salad. Um, mango for some people sesame seeds coconut aminos love it yeah kyler what have you been Sounds eating really what about what have i been eating um and don't like tell me Chick. i literally just ate chick-fil-a right before this <laughs> <laughs> i knew it i knew it I had two Chick-fil-A sandwiches right before. Um, but Stace has actually been making, like, these ground beef and rice meals with, like, some uh, bell peppers and onions. And I've Ooh, just been yeah. loving that. So yeah. kind of overdoing it, but it's okay. You know, just we ride the train that, while we got it. Yeah, we all have that meal that, like, we just stick to for a really disgustingly long time and then swap <laughs> yes. it out. So true. Yeah. Um, do you have another question for us? I do. Um, okay, so how many times a week should I train a body part that I want to grow? So um, as frequently as you can properly recover from. So typically, I won't go over basically training one body part two times in a week, because I don't really see proper recovery occurring from three or more. But uh, one to two times per muscle group that you're trying to grow should be sufficient and just go Give it everything you got in those sessions and then properly take care of recovery and you should be good. Sup, Nick? Sup, Nick? Um, if you have high blood pressure, should you avoid the sauna? So actually, no, the opposite. So if you have high blood pressure, what's going to be most helpful is something that dilates or expands basically your um, blood vessels. And the sauna or high temperatures actually does exactly that it expands your blood vessels which allows for more blood flow to occur and which actually lowers your blood pressure so if you're someone who has high blood pressure the sauna is a great um, tool to use any other questions Kyler 
Yeah, I got one more. And this is actually directly towards you guys. And I can chime in as needed. How important is gut health during prep? So important. Like, so important. I've had multiple competitors come to me before, like, as they're starting prep and then come to me and be like, Dasha, I'm bloated. And we run a GI map and they have a parasite. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah. if you got into prep at that point and you were about to step on stage, you would look awful. You literally would look awful because you would be bloated. You would be gassy. Even if you dieted, you wouldn't actually be absorbing the nutrients, which means that you would look awful. Your muscles wouldn't be full. Your, your retention of water would be there. Like, You'd be distended the whole time. Yeah, I can't stress it enough. I think someone even DM'd me this week and they were like, yeah, like I'm going to reach out to you after prep. And I was like, that's awful. I'm so yeah. sorry. Like, I don't know how else to express that it's such a waste of money because these people put so much time, so much energy, so much money into that competition. If yeah. you are not taking care of your gut health to bring you to that stage, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're literally asking to not bring a good package. It is the number one reason I've had to pull clients from, <laughs> from their preps is gut Absolutely. health, then hormone health, number two, and mental health, number three. <laughs> yeah. I literally had a call with someone yesterday who wants to do core perform. And she was like, yeah, but I, but I have a show in June. And I was like, you need to choose what's most important right now is like you could do a prep you could finish it i was like but if you're already having gi issues to start and your show is in a couple weeks personally i would try to get a refund fix your gut health and go back and do a show when you're able and stable to do it or honestly just start with core perform because there's so many things that we can do to tackle your gut health before your prep that has oh. nothing to do with us like just with start anything else Mm-hmm. yeah literally just well, and it'll it'll help you actually manage that gut health throughout your entire prep because you'll know the things to do to manage that yeah exactly um so. and if you're already like committed to that prep at least start now so that you can get as good as you can get for that mm-hmm. one show and then talk about okay what can we do now more aggressively maybe because I wouldn't necessarily put someone into a very severe deep treatment if I knew that their prep was coming up I would be a little bit more conservative do more of symptom management um, more of how can we make sure that we're restoring glycogen properly the bacteria in our gut is absorbing the nutrients and efficiently we're not becoming micronutrient deficient and things like that um, 100%. yeah what rep ranges should I? Why did I say that so weird? <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. What rep ranges should I stick to to cut fat? Same rep ranges you would stick to to build muscle. Um, just you just want to keep training the best. Like train the same way to maintain your strength and maintain your muscle as possible because while you are cutting fat you're going to want to maintain that muscle as much as possible otherwise when you're in that deficit you're just going to be burning up muscle like nobody's business and then you come back to build some later and you're like oh man i uh definitely broke down more than i expected and then you're having to rebuild and that's a long process So, oh, to give you an actual rep range there would be like probably the 8 to 15 rep range and just giving it everything you got for those 8 to 15 reps. Completely agree. What are some of your favorite core strength 
exercises. And before we talk about this was a question, by the way, before we actually address what that would be, I want to clarify that any sort of core strengthening exercises will make your stomach bigger. It will not make it smaller. Correct. Core, your core is a, is a muscle. And so it will build on that muscle and make that muscle larger. You cannot spot reduce. That stuff is done in the kitchen. And if you want to work on your gut health to actually improve your bloat and digestion, um, then that's what we were just talking about. But regardless, what are some of your core strengthening exercises that you love? Uh, my favorites would be something like a decline crunch or sit-up. I like rope crunches. Uh, if you can actually like nail down the form properly so that you're contracting it well um and then hanging leg raises or like a captain's chair leg raise i love those how about I you guys with those i love them because i know they work really well and they engage my core but oh man it's humbling for sure <laughs> absolutely yeah. um my favorite is the machine that you twist on the twisty machine. oh yes those are that fun. thing what? literally is the best ab exercise that you can ever do i think i'm and everyone's gonna yell at me for this that and probably like hanging leg raises but that machine i swear to you is unlike any other will stabilize your core and also your back and will create the best physique like ever <laughs> i actually totally agree with that and the reason is because a lot of people don't realize your rectus abdominis is your entire core it wraps all the way around you and so when you're doing that twisting movement and just working on that stability it's training your entire trunk it's training everything so yeah. as opposed to sit-ups where we're focusing on the front and you cannot you cannot actually engage that entire muscle group with any other exercise it is extremely difficult to have 110 pounds and move it any other way other than that machine so yep. i love that machine and i'm so sad because I know don't have access to it anymore. No. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried to do like recreations of it. So what you can yeah. do is like you can sit on a bench, stabilize the bench, hug the sit on the bench, hug it with your knees, and then move like use a cable and like twist like that. But even then the majority of your upper body is doing the work at the end of the day, yeah. no matter how much you contract, like it's just too much of that motion. So yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a suitable substitute, but I, it's definitely not the same. Yeah. It's like <laughs> one is using 15 pounds and the other one is using 110 pounds. So you can exactly. imagine the amount of difference that you can actually feel there and how much muscle you're able to build as a result of that. So yep. anyways, um, do you have any other questions? No, that was it. Alrighty. I can throw another last one at you. Or at us, I guess. Um, how often should you take a probiotic? Or for how long? And I think I'll answer this just to spare Courtney's bad service. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you should take a probiotic um, if you need it. No one should be taking probiotics for a very long time. In fact, it's probably better to cycle off of any probiotic that you're taking because remember that it's only one set of bacteria and so it's gonna colonize that one bacterial colony. So you want a diverse microbiome. You don't want a monopoly in your gut of this one, one bug, which is why a lot of people and um, practitioners recommend broad strain or 
um, numerous strain probiotics is because you want to make sure that you're getting a diversity of them. So um, things like Visbiome and VSL, um, those ones have eight strains in them and they're very effective at what they do. We have evidence to support it. And same thing with even single strain strands like Sacbulardi or Lactobacillus 299V or um, the plantarums, like all of these single strains are effective also, um, but you don't have to take them forever. All of the strains are great in specific reasons um, that are specifically probiotics. Otherwise, they wouldn't be called probiotics because the definition of a probiotic is, is that it's a bacterial strain that produces some sort of health benefit. So um, they're all great. Um, cycling them and choosing the specific strain for your symptom at that time is going to be what's best, but you don't have to take it forever. I would say um, taking a probiotic for probably six to eight weeks at a time is probably going to be what's best. Um, three months is okay too, um, but then cycling off is good too. With that said, we will end the show for this week. Thank you guys all for joining. Do you guys have anything else you'd like to add? Nothing here. Alrighty. Well, until next time, congratulations to Bridget again for winning this one, this month's giveaway. Bye guys. <laughs>